This episode is brought to you by TMG Vets, a TVMA Business Alliance member. TMG Vets, a leader in contactless payments, offers the lowest credit card processing rates in the industry, as well as leading technology for your countertops, exam rooms, and curbside payments. Visit tmgvets.com for more information. And running a practice, uh, dealing with all of the elements of business, as well as medicine, um, just, again, burned me out where I was at the point where I really wanted to find a different avenue. From the Texas Veterinary Medical Association in Austin, Texas, this is Veterinary Vitals, a show that features open and honest conversations with veterinary professionals. I'm your host, Dina Goldstein, Media Coordinator for TVMA. Are you thinking about making a career transition within veterinary medicine? Our guest today, Dr. Tom Sidwa, made a big move in the middle of his career. And now that he's at the end of his career, he can really reflect on this transition. He just retired in January from the Department of State Health Services, where he worked for more than 26 years. Fourteen of those years, he served as the manager of the Zoonosis Control Branch and was the state public health veterinarian. But before that, he worked at a private practice in the Katy area. So why did he make the transition from private practice to public health? And what was it like? He tells you in this episode. I enjoyed it for many years. And and the reason I made the the transition to public health was that I, and and those veterinarians out there may relate to this term, burned out almost always a single person practice when I was uh, you know, on my own as a single practitioner and running a practice, uh, dealing with all of the elements of business as well as medicine uh, just, again, burned me out where I was at the point where I really wanted to find a different avenue. Now at the time, and that uh, transition to public health in 93, at the time, my options were very very limited because I um, again I had a DVM and I've been in private practice for 20 years but the options for a veterinarian and and I looked at USDA veterinary services but I didn't have a background in large animal medicine so that limited that I looked at USDA food safety inspection service which I could have done Uh, but I really wasn't interested in spending my days in a slaughter facility. On the state side, again, very limited. You had the zoonosis control branch and you had the meat and poultry inspection program. Um, I ultimately um, applied for and was selected for a position as zoonosis control veterinarian headquartered in Harlingen, which is right on the Texas-Mexico border. Um, And uh, I think the only reason I was able to get that position was that it was a very hard to fill position. In other words, I didn't have a master's in public health. I didn't have a PhD in a, in a discipline or anything of that sort. So fortunately they needed somebody and I was hired and basically learned on the job. I was only there for about five months. Um, Originally, the plan was to have me there for a few months of training under uh, the regional veterinarian at the time, and then move me to Corpus Christi, where I would deal with counties in the northern part of that health region. 
but because of the epizootic of domestic dog coyote rabies uh, in that part of the state, they decided they wanted to leave me in Harlingen. And uh, subsequently, an opportunity presented itself for me to apply for assistant director position of the meat and poultry inspection program. And I mentioned that I really had no interest in spending my days in a slaughter facility. I still didn't. Uh, but as the assistant director in Austin, I was really a predominantly an administrator uh, as opposed to an in-plant person. I did, I did visit plants and did uh, compliance uh, evaluations and so forth, but that was not my day-to-day. -day. A lot of policy. If you put a wild card asterisk and then say coordinator, I filled a lot of those roles. Uh, field automation and, and uh, information management coordinator, uh, HACCP coordinator, pathogen testing coordinator, a, a lot of different hats, a lot of different hats, and uh, trainer for field staff and for plant person, plant management uh, around a number of regulatory changes. And I enjoyed that, uh, and that was fine. One of the things that resulted in my moving to zoonosis control was the fact that the Meat inspection program is not actually a mandated program. Uh, in other words, if the state didn't have a program, USDA would have to do it. And we were approaching a very tight budget year, and I was fearful that they were going to uh, give up the meat program, which would have left me out of work. <laughs> so I had an opportunity to apply for and be selected to run, uh, direct the uh, oral rabies vaccination program. And so I came to zoonosis control to do that. And then went back to meat safety for a short period later and then back to zoonosis. So I've basically been back and forth between those two programs that, that actually use veterinarians uh, in that 26-year period. And, and again, for the last 14, I've been with zoonosis control. Got it. So I want to go back to um, what it was like working in practice. So when you said you were feeling burnout, what exactly does that feel like? Can you describe the specific feelings and why exactly, like certain experiences? Just basically being overwhelmed and, and work to a frazzle. Uh, I, I loved dealing with people and with the animals, uh, but then you couple with that. And again, it wasn't that common to have at that time to have office managers and so forth taking over a lot of that load. Um, and so it just, yeah. it was just more than I was willing to do for the, another 20 years. So that, that was what it was. And I did different things to try and re-energize myself. Uh, I uh, acquired the equipment and, and training to do endodontics. And I did survey courses in marine animal medicine and different things to try and, again, get re-energized. But it was just more than, than I was up to handling, again, projecting out another 20 years. And for reasons of uh, our son's education, we ended up moving to a small town uh, at Belleville um, where they had traditional classrooms and so forth. And that was an hour away from the practice. So I had two hours of commute every day, coupled, oh, wow. with, coupled with the workload. All told, it, it was just something I was looking for alternatives, looking for options. Yeah. And how long were you looking? Like, how long had you felt this way? I was probably was seriously looking for a few years. Okay. And... Um, Again, the options were not 
numerous. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So ultimately, when that position in Harlingen opened up, uh, I took that as the opportunity to to make a move. Now, again, I love the you know working with people and with the animals. In fact, for about ten years, while I was wor working in public health, I was still doing uh, relief work and. It, of that was I could go in and do the medicine and deal with the people and the animals and at the end of the day I walked away and didn't have to deal with uh, you know vendors and insurance companies and advertising it, it was a much simpler uh, situation and and filled my need to have that connection with the people and the pets okay so it was just like a general feeling that you were really ready for a change to just improve your quality of life and professional well-being yes and and it was a as I say it was largely learning on the job and and it was a, definitely a, a, a challenge uh, and I welcomed a, a, a new challenge and uh, so that uh, that fit pretty well and so I'm sure there's some veterinarians who are in the, that position now that you were in where they might have this gut feeling where they're ready for a change um, and they're trying to figure out what sort of change would be good for them. Do you have any advice for those veterinarians? I would say if you're looking at public health, my advice would be if they're, well, if they're veterinary students and think that at any point they might want to take a public health direction, I would certainly encourage them to look at the dual degree uh, DVM MPH, Master of Public Health course uh, or, or route because it's it's you're far more competitive in in getting these limited number of veterinary jobs in public health mm -hmm. uh, if you have an MPH and uh, also of course board certification in preventive veterinary preventive medicine is useful as well makes you more competitive uh, so that would be that would be the advice there are a number of MPH programs now available where even if you're in practice uh, where you can tailor uh, the program to fit a working person's schedule. Uh, I didn't, I frankly didn't get an MPH until 10 years ago. Frankly, I was at the time, I was the only veterinarian in our program. We have eight veterinarians in the field in the public health regions across the state, and I have two other veterinarians here in my office. And I was the only one that didn't have an MPH or an MS or a PhD. So I felt kind of <laughs> odd being the director and not having that. So pursue an MPH pretty late in life. What, what were the challenges of pursuing an MPH later on? I think if you're wanting to, if you want to pursue public health, I'd, I'd say it's almost an entry card. And the challenges, it wasn't as challenging in some ways for me in that I, my children were grown. Uh, and so I didn't have those demands on my time. Uh, I did have a full-time job, but it, um, well, it, different people, it'll present different challenges as far as time management to get it done, but there is some flexibility in many of these programs uh, to accommodate the, the working, uh, working person. And so how did you find out about that first job in public health? You know, I don't recall. It's <laughs> been yeah. so long ago. I was, I was actively looking, so I, I assume I, I just came up in my normal course of uh, looking for vacancies in these uh, state agencies. Okay. Why did you feel like it was a better fit? Like those first few days to months where 
you started to settle in and you're like, oh, like, I do feel better doing this. How, how did you feel when you first started? Well, one of the things that, that uh, <laughs> very early on when I got to Harlingen, I was driving in a state vehicle up the Rio Grande Valley, uh, beautiful day. And it just occurred to me, I'm getting paid while I'm driving <laughs> to this meeting. Yeah. And of course, private practice, if you're not in that exam room or surgery or doing x-rays or whatever, if you're not actively engaged, you're not getting paid. Mm -hmm. So that was a, that was kind of neat. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I still recall that, that fee. And, and of course, again, I was used to being in, in four walls all day, every day. Right. And so being out on the road was a, a very welcome change. Yeah. I found that very and and I dealt with people, you know, of course, and those interpersonal skills certainly come into play, but it was with a different set of people. It was with elected officials and animal control officers and local rabies control authorities and people, you know, a different set of, of stakeholders that I was dealing with as opposed to uh, clients, owners of, uh, of pets that I was caring for. Okay. And did you miss anything about your old job? I miss the people and the animals, and like I say, I was I did relief work for another ten years okay. to to help fill that void. Um, so yeah, that that part I missed. Okay. And was there anything difficult about making that transition? It was a very steep learning curve because again, it was totally outside of practice. The elements of a practice. It was in in meat safety. Um, it was a, a great deal of regulatory. I entered veterinary school after two years of undergrad. And frankly, had I not gotten in, my plan was to go to law school. Oh. So writing and, and either the regulatory and, and language and dealing with regulation kind of, uh, in other words, that wasn't something that was abhorrent to me. I kind of <laughs> enjoyed that piece of it. Um, it was, again, a, a different skill set, writing skills, mm -hmm. uh, set of communication skills. Um, but that, that, um, that was enjoyable in meat safety. Learned a lot of skill sets related, relating to using a, of Excel and spreadsheets and, and scheduling uh, pathogen testing and uh, actually doing training of staff and training of plant owners. That was a... Again, you, you communicate with, with the clients, but this is a different setting where you're using those skills to train as opposed to just communicate about the issues with their pet. We're going to take a quick break so I can tell you about this episode's sponsor, TMG Vets. Are you paying too much every month for your credit card processing? You probably are. You need to contact TMG Vets. TMG Vets is part of the Business Alliance, so you know they can be trusted. TMG Vets offers the lowest rates in the credit card processing industry and specializes in contactless payments. No contract, free equipment, curbside payment options, and amazing customer service. Put contact TMG Vets about credit card processing on your to-do list today. You won't regret it. To make the simple switch to TMG Vets for your credit card processing, visit tmgvets.com. Contact information is in the show notes. Let Clay Farrell and his team know you heard about TMG Vets on the Veterinary Vitals podcast. 
And so because you had a steep learning curve, is there anything that you remember learning the hard way that was kind of frustrating? Well, HACCP, which is a acronym for Hazard Analysis Critical Control Points, is an inspection system where instead of relying upon testing of an end food product to determine if it was safe, there was an assessment of every step in the production to identify critical control points where you have to monitor and exert controls to prevent contamination of that product. And that was a whole new mindset for both the plant owners and quite onerous for plant owners to adopt that. And so it was it was pretty complicated and it was a difficult system to communicate and to get plant owner buy-in about. And uh, so being able to address those concerns was, yeah, I, I didn't realize how uh, complex it was and how difficult it was going to be for plant owners to adopt it until I got out in the field and was doing it and it came to light just how confusing it was to them. And uh, so it was a challenge to, to break it down to a point that they could could adopt it and realize what they were needed to do. And, and meat plants that are under state inspection tend to be much smaller facilities, more of the small-scale mom-and-pop type operations. So they don't have a deep bench when it comes to say regular staff that deal with nothing but dealing with regulations and dealing with compliance and they having to do it all on their own. So our support, my my involvement and that of our inspectors and so forth, our support of them in making that transition to HACCP was, was challenging for everybody, plant owners and our staff and me. So is there anything that you know now that you wish you had known during that transition or at any other point during your career? I would have to say nothing comes to mind uh, because I think you just have to pay your dues. You just have to. Now, I had I, I would have had, if I thought it, knew I was heading in that direction, I would have pursued that master's degree in public health much earlier because I had had, again, I came into vet to the veterinary college very with only a couple of years of undergrad, so I didn't have statistics. Um, I didn't have biostatistics and so forth. So when I did the MPH uh, biostats, I never burned so much midnight oil in anything <laughs> as much as I did yeah. in stats. So had I known I was going to go that direction, I certainly would have pursued the MPH early before going into it. And again, it just it just created uh, challenges along the way, but I have paid my dues. I did my homework. Uh, it's it's a never-ending learning process, just like practice. You don't come out of veterinary school going to practice as well now through learning. Well, hopefully you don't because you'll fail. But uh, the same holds true in in public health. It's never in always something new. Zika. Uh, my branch was heavily involved in in response to the Zika virus outbreak. Uh, chikungunya, dengue, plague, anthrax. Uh, we deal with a tremendous amount of generally low incidence and very high consequence diseases are the ones that this zoonosis control branch addresses. And yes, that's that's a never ending learning process. And so you're about to go through another transition with going into um, retirement. So how do you feel about that? Any concerns or anything that's, uh, that's really exciting to you about that time in your life? 
Well, uh, on the short term, in the short term, I've got a lot of home improvement, home remodeling to do. That'll keep me busy for a while. I really haven't, and this is something that probably not a good idea, but I don't have a rock solid plan. I, I may come back to public health. They've asked me if I would be interested in coming back in some capacity. And I would say probably after a few months, I might actually <laughs> entertain the idea of uh, if, if something part-time is needed where I fill a role that's that adds to the uh, achieving the mission, I would be open to discussing that. Um, I don't know whether that'll come to fruition or not. Uh, certainly plenty of opportunities to volunteer in any number of areas that might be interesting, and I'll I'll pursue uh, pursue that in all likelihood as well. And I've got I've got ten kids. My wife and I are something of a of a safety net for my daughter and her grandchildren and my grandchildren. Uh, so I'll be more available to serve in that role of um, helping her uh, with grandkids. Um, so that's probably going to be a, a part of it as well. Yeah. And um, do they also live in Austin? Yes. Uh -huh. So what do you plan to do with your grandchildren? Um, like anything you've been wanting to do with them or, you know, just in general, now that you have more time to possibly spend with your family and friends? Well, it depends on what the, one of the things that I've done in recent years is rather than giving them more stuff to toys to clutter the house, I'll give them a day, a day out with me and we decide what they would like to do and we go spend the day doing those things as a gift as opposed to things that, uh, again, will just add to the clutter at the house. <laughs> yeah. So anything that you've learned throughout your life or career that you try to pass on to your grandchildren? Well, I, not really other than uh, you know, applying themselves. Now, again, the, the little, the youngest grandkids. It's a. Uh, I go to grandparent lunches at their school and all of that. But uh, on the applying themselves to their education and and because you don't know what direction life is going to take you. Uh, yeah. Again, I had two options when I applied to veterinary school, and I, that was my first choice. But I, at the time, I was aware of people who had been around A&M for years trying to get in and never got in. And I finally decided I was going to give it my best shot. And if that didn't work, law was my fallback. Uh, so I did have a plan. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm happy that, that veterinary medicine worked out. And I uh, had a, what I consider to be a very enjoyable practice career. And I've had a 26-year career in public health that has had mainly positive, um, and uh, so I feel fortunate. And what I ultimately, you know, where I end up going in this next phase uh, is less certain. Mm -hmm. And I have a few things in mind, but uh, nothing definitive. One other question I have is throughout these transi transitions in your life, did it affect you personally at all? Like, with your family or any sort of hobbies you had? Well, when I was in practice, uh, I, I flew airplanes, sailed sailboats, so forth and oh, so wow. 
yeah. frankly, frankly, going to uh, public health, it didn't support those hobbies. <laughs> yeah. Scuba diving in the Caribbean and so forth. The, the things I was used to doing were tended to be fairly expensive hobbies. And uh, so that that didn't quite make it when I transitioned to to uh, employment with the government agency. Okay, I'm just curious. Does that mean that you that your salary decreased? Yes, yes. Okay. Now again, there's there's a range of salaries, and and frankly, we we um, achieved a, a an equity adjustment for veterinarians in this agency some years ago, I think it was 06, we had vacancies that had been there for a couple of years and finally made the business case to the agency that there needed to be a, a change. And yeah. we, the hiring level is based now, if you have DVM, of course that's base salary. If you have a, an advanced degree like an MPH, that adds to the offer, the hiring salary. If you have years of public health experience, that adds to the salary. If, you, if you're board certified in veterinary public health, that adds to the salary. So there's a range of hiring levels based upon the credentials that you have. Yeah. But it does say a lot to make that transition from private practice to public health, knowing that I don't really know how much your salary dropped, but it's just, you know, that can be difficult. Yeah, you have, um, you have to... Yeah make decisions about priorities and, and of course, you know, I transition from the things I described to, to things that are more affordable like hiking and uh, yeah. uh, cycling and motorcycles and things that are, that would, that fit my capacity to support it. Got it. Um, well, I think that pretty much wraps all, all my questions unless I feel like you didn't get a chance to say anything to any fellow veterinarians who are listening. All I can say is that public health, if you're looking for a change within practice, that's understandable. Um, you know, whether it's expanding uh, the species with which you deal or the types of services you're qualified to provide, that's one way. But if you're looking to transition out of practice, or even if it's a student who's looking at career opportunities and options, certainly public health is very rewarding. Um, it's just a matter of whether it fits your goals and, and uh, your needs. Uh, again, I've, I enjoyed practice and I've enjoyed public health, so it's not it's not necessarily an, uh, and you may be the same where you have a period of time of doing one thing. In my case, it was 20 years, and then transition to a different phase of of work and career, and uh, that. Public health may be among the things you'd want to consider. Yeah. And did you have any feelings of being scared when you made that change? Like, were you like, oh, my God, what if I don't like it? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, it, as far as impact, yes, it impacted my family. We had to make, again, we made changes uh, based on where, again, I thought it was going to be in Corpus Christi. I ended up in Harlingen. And then we ended up in Austin, which my wife and daughter were thrilled with. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we've been in Austin ever since, um, and, and love the hill country. I mean, that's I came to Austin right out of veterinary school because I wanted to practice in Austin, and in the hill, and I love the hill country, and still do. And that's part of the reason I didn't uh, really go with 
USDA because I wanted to stay in Texas. I'm a t born in Texas, stayed in Texas my entire life. Don't mind visiting other places, but this is where I want to live. So, yeah, there were there were some. It, it was not just an effect on me; it affected my family as well. And so, so you love the hill country. Why, why else uh, do you like Austin and why your wife and daughter were into Austin? I mean, I live here and I love it. So. Yeah, well, first, frankly, we, we don't live in Austin. We live in Lakeway, which is up near Lake Travis. Right, and, yeah. Yeah, and uh, my daughter, again, we, we lived in a small town of Belleville. They were raised in Belleville, but they were used to being in Houston a lot. So, again, when we went to Harlingen, uh, they didn't go with me, by the way. Uh, they visited, but they didn't. They weren't there during that five months. And the 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 major change of environment was, I think, it would have been difficult for them to acclimate to that. Corpus is a little uh, a little different, and I think we would have been okay in Corpus, but I think Austin overall is just a much better fit. It's a bigger city, obviously has more amenities, more uh, the educational side of it is is. Uh, quite quite good so uh, it worked out better for us that was dr tom sidwa talking about his transition from private practice to public health one of the main reasons he left private practice was because he dealt with burnout public health worked for him because it allowed him to still help animals while enjoying a better quality of life it wasn't easy he experienced a steep learning curve but he eventually got the hang of things. And to advance his career in the field, he earned his master's in public health later in life. Now his big career move is retirement. He's working on some home improvement projects and spending more time with his family. On the next episode of Veterinary Vitals, you'll hear from a licensed veterinary technician who is a big advocate of education for LVTs. She shares that there are 11 veterinary technology programs in Texas that are accredited by the American Veterinary Medical Association. But that's not enough. Uh, we need more. We still can't graduate enough LVTs yeah. to meet the need. That was Joyce Brode. She is the director of the Lone Star College Veterinary Technology Program in Tomball, one of those 11 schools. Tune in to the next episode to learn why there is such a need and how education and credentialing has evolved for LVTs over the past 40 years. For now, please rate the show and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you for tuning in to Veterinary Vitals. I'm your host, Dina Goldstein from TVMA.